Have you ever had one of those moments where you wake up, something happens, and then you're on your way to work, another thing happens, and then a friend has a conversation with you and you're like, man, there's this overarching idea being communicated to me. And then it happens again, and then you have this aha moment. Humanity is trying to tell you something, or someone is trying to tell you something. Well, this happened to me this week, and I'd like to try to make it a uh, Don't Feed the Trolls episode. But in my two separate moments, there was a complicated problem with humanity clearly defined. And I sat there for a second, I was like, that's it. That is what I've been struggling with my whole life. And the first time it was presented to me was in an essay that I was reading from Thomas Merton called The Rain and the Rhinoceros. And then later this week, I was listening to a podcast from an author named Frank Schaefer. And suddenly, there it was. They were both saying the same things. They set up this narrative that humanity is kind of stuck in this perpetual motion, unable to stop, unable to see the moments, smell the flowers, and ultimately realize that this moment right here, right now, whether you're stuck in your car, stuck in an airport, still laying in bed, like that moment right now, these seconds, it's all there is, and we miss it. Like this morning, I woke up and immediately, I had things to do. I was rushing around the house, getting my gear, getting my podcast stuff together, getting my computer, sending emails, checking things, trying to get the day going. Not even realizing that breakfast is a moment, my kids playing Legos on the ground is a moment that I'm missing. And my wife is trying to tell me something and I'm not listening. These are moments. These are moments that we step over, step by, move quickly past every single day to get to something else that we think is what we're trying to accomplish for that day. But let me try to take you into my moment. And uh, here are some things Frank said on the podcast. Let's tune in. We have given up on the arc of life and the art of life and instead see ourselves not only as a consumerist culture, but one where all the measures of success are exactly the wrong idea. We see education these days in terms of preparing to compete in the global economy, rather than in terms of feeding the soul of a young individual and opening the beauty of what it means to be a human being to that young girl or boy. The purpose of standing in front of a great work of art or re-listening to an album that you love, the purpose of falling in love, the purpose of sex, the purpose of having a child is not to lead to another step. These are not stepping stones. They are gifts in and of themselves. And when we lose sight of that, we become what this country has become. We have to start examining our lives outside of this culture, outside of this Christian world, outside of religion, and stop measuring what we do in utilitarian terms and only begin to see what is actually in front of our faces and be able to ascertain what is good that we have and cling to it like a life raft. And so the purpose of education is not to get a job. It's because knowledge is beautiful and a brain is a good thing. The reason to go to college is not to graduate and find work in that field, but to study something that you are actually 
interested in as a vocation or nothing at all. The reason that we have careers at all is because we love them as vocations and or we use them practically to fund those things that we know are where we really live and we need to be honest about that. The purpose of art is not to sell Jesus or to get people to love God or to sell a piece of art or a painting or get hired to make a film or whatever it may be. The purpose of art is that the intrinsic worth of beauty needs no argument. This is not a step. This is the reason we're here, is to be moved by that piece of music, to be moved by that poem, to be moved by the unconditional trust we read in a child's face where we have put in the hours to earn that trust and love, and to realize that for once, we're being seen as we wish we could see ourselves, which is the greatest gift a child can give you, by the way. What this is about is looking at life as a series of experiences of beauty that have intrinsic worth in and of themselves and are not a step to the next utilitarian accomplishment in our false sense of what success is. So for the titans of Silicon Valley, who were told how many billions of dollars they earn, or the entertainers who are stars, or Donald Trump running for office, or any of these other folks, the real question is not how much money did they make, have they reshaped the internet, have they come up with an app that everybody is now uh, catching on to and using? Are they a successful preacher? Do they have a big entertainment name? The question is much more simple. For them personally, are they finding things in their life that are good with intrinsic worth in themselves? And does that mirror in the fact that they are earning the unconditional love and trust of the people closest to them who know them best? And the only real mirror you have is not the one in your bathroom or your front hall. It's the eyes of the people who know you best. What you read there is the truth about yourself. And unless you're seeing beauty reflected back at you, you are a failure. And if you are seeing unconditional love and trust, you are a success. And I don't give a whatever you have in the bank or whether your last album sold or whether you're going to invent an app. It's who we are, not what we do that counts. And if you can't tell, my uh, four-month-old is in the background playing. Um, I'm watching him while I'm uh, recording this podcast. And it's such a beautiful little uh, metaphor to me of what life is like. That here I am trying to do this podcast for you guys. And meanwhile, I'm getting the biggest smile in the world for my little four-month-old boy. And uh, that's what it's all about. (laughs) these moments these moments in life that are amazing that's kind of what i want to describe in this podcast episode so back to thomas merton thomas merton was a uh, famous catholic monk um from kentucky and uh he was one of the leading writers of his generation publishing dozens of books poetry essays religious meditation plays novels etc and he wrote the reign of the rhinoceros which is a small essay that uh, originally kind of captures this whole essence of this podcast that I want to try to get across to you guys. So 
In order to make this a little more well-rounded, I'm going to have Matt read a little bit of the Rain and Rhinoceros to kind of set off this podcast and get us started. The time will come when they will sell you even your rain. At the moment, it is still free, and I am in it. I celebrate its gratuity and its meaninglessness. The rain I am in is not like the rain of cities. It fills the woods with an immense and confused sound. It covers the flat roof of the cabin and its porch with insistent and controlled rhythms. And I listen, because it reminds me again and again that the whole world runs by rhythms I have not yet learned to recognize. Rhythms that are not those of an engineer. I came up here from the monastery last night, sloshing through the cornfield, said Vespers, and put some oatmeal on the Coleman stove for supper. It boiled over while I was listening to the rain and toasting a piece of bread at the log fire. The night became very dark. The rain surrounded the whole cabin with its enormous virginal myth, a whole world of meaning, of secrecy, of silence, of rumor. Think of it, all that speech pouring down, selling nothing, judging nobody, drenching the thick mulch of dead leaves, soaking the trees, filling the gullies and crannies of the wood with water, washing out the places where men have stripped the hillside. What a thing it is to sit absolutely alone in the forest at night, cherished by this wonderful, unintelligible, perfectly innocent speech, the most comforting speech in the world, the talk that rain makes by itself all over the ridges, and the talk of the watercourses everywhere in the hollows. Nobody started it. Nobody is going to stop it. It will talk as long as it wants, this rain. As long as it talks, I am going to listen. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Nate. And we want to welcome you to Don't Feed the Trolls. A podcast where we discuss trending topics, art, and culture. Through the lens of our experiences touring the world and creating art vocationally. We hope to bring topics out of the minefield of the comments sections. And into the sphere of reasonable dialogue. Thank you for listening. Wow. And then Merton goes on to quote Ionesco from his work, The New Tenant. In all the cities of the world, it is the same, says Ionesco. The universal and modern man is the man in a rush, i.e. a rhinoceros, a man who has no time, who is a prisoner of necessity, who cannot understand that a thing might perhaps be without usefulness, nor does he understand that it is the useful that may be a useless and backbreaking burden. If one does not understand the usefulness of the useless, and the uselessness of the useful, one cannot understand art. And a country where art is not understood is a country of slaves and robots. Rhinoceritis, he adds, is the sickness that lies in wait for those who have lost the sense and the taste for solitude. So being a product of society, the grind, possessions, inside groups, Wall Street, no time, business, no solitude, no time for reflection, robots on the move. These people 
are rhinoceroses. <laughs> that's what he says. Uh, that's what I- Ionesco says. But I guess that that means I'm a rhinoceros, Nate. That means well, I, I am too. I mean, we we talk about all the time on this podcast about DIY hustle, but you have to get up and you have to make your dreams a reality, and you have to do it, do it, do it, and make your you know make the most use of your time. And at some point, what we're reading here is that isn't the fulfilling use of your time. I mean, you got to have that, but it's is it a balance? Is that what they're saying here? I was convicted of making sure the idea of our podcast comes across now that we're 16, 17 episodes in that, like if you look back on guys like Jack Roan, when Jack says, hey, you know, I could get this corporate job, but I'm going to sell these things because I love to build this stuff. Right. The, you know, the success episode, like success isn't just selling a ton of records. Success is understanding why you're making music and things like that. Right, so it's a sometimes place in your heart, yeah, as opposed to a, a physical uh, manifestation of something outside of you. Yeah, and I think we can get tempted as humans and as artists to become rhinoceroses. So this week, I just kind of had this, you know, sort of epiphany that man, these two ideas are so great, and yet most of my career I've been a rhino because I've been just stuck in the grind, <laughs> thinking of life. Yeah really as getting to the next stage, getting to the next step. If I'm in yeah. second grade, I'm only preparing myself for the third grade. Right. And and you never, ever sit in that moment. Like when we played our first show and people came out, like I didn't have the ability to go, this is the moment. This is like the hardest right. part for any band to get to. And here I am. Thinking, to really embrace it and enjoy it because it's always yeah. the next thing. It's so unsatisfactory i just started reading this uh book by peter rollins um and uh it's called the idolatry of god and he talks about this longing or this this void mm. that happens and we're always looking to fill that void with something and he he's even pretty critical of like you know self-help or christian the christian industry because they're like well if you just fill the gap with God. So so everybody else is mm-hmm. saying, fill it with sex, fill it with fame, fill it with money, fill it with toys, fill it with good looks, uh, vacations, discipline, self-help plans to get all those things. And the Christian industry just like swaps that out with God and says, well, fill it, fill it with another thing. But the problem is it leaves people striving to fill the gap when the longing persists because the longing always persists. There's always something more when you live in the ego that you can't be doing. And so they're provided with extra steps, you know, to step in the truth that they already know or whatever. But the goal is always to fill the gap. And if the goal is to fill the gap, it's never filled. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you jam in there. When the goal is to be and to embrace the gap, we can be we can be filled up in that moment as opposed to filling that gap or that void. So it's pretty insane to think about. We're always thinking about that next thing that's going to fill that void, and it never really does because we're not living presently and embracing the moment. So, so Peter Rollins says in his book, what if God is not a bridge to something else, to fulfillment or whatever? What if a truer concept of God does away with the longing to achieve or grow or become or attain what if God allows us just to be in the moment, in pain mm. or in love, you know, where our, where where fears and striving cease? And your ego says, I'm, am I doing enough? 
And maybe that goes away when you embrace this more contemplative view and you step like into the moment. And not to get too super spiritual for you guys out there that don't uh, believe, but Frank was saying in the spiel is that we have to get outside of Christianity even in order to understand how to live life. But I was saying this morning to my wife, Matt, that the gospel that you and I were told is that it's the same idea. In order to get to the afterlife, you have to believe these things. You have right. to believe. This is the message we were taught even in salvation, that it's not even now. It's somewhere yeah. else down the road. So sure. what a very stressful thinking and teaching. Right. We were taught afterlife there. insurance and there was like a side of like, be good now. But there was no like presence. There was no contemplative moment. Yes. It just living in gratitude and awe of what what was now storing up for later the whole time. And if someone said, what do you believe now? What is the gospel to you now? I'd say the gospel to me now is my whole life I've forgotten to be present in this moment, that I've forgotten the entire time I could recognize that I am loved right now. I right. am loved. And, and humanity forgets these moments. So we're trying to tell everyone else, if you just pray this prayer, you'll get to heaven, right? <laughs> He has to have and an accent, right? Yeah, it's very Southern because I live in Tennessee. <laughs> but meanwhile, my whole life, I've forgotten that, man, I'm already loved. I'm already here on this planet to, like Frank says, our only response as humans is to say, it yeah, is good. It is good. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's the old original but... blessing versus original curse thing. But but yeah. let's talk more about just civilization here. Get away okay. from the Get away from the religious stuff. But. Just talk about connectivity and how it used to be, you know, in civilizations, there was forced solitude. And we're talking about solitude as a way hmm. to embrace the moment. It really helps you live in the, like when you, when there's no distractions. Um, but like you think about back in the day, you know, long, slow travel, nights under the stars, silence, no electricity, no TV, no cell phone po portal to the world in your pocket. And people most people resented it, right? Because it was so boring. Mm. So we yeah. made, and it was so inefficient and ineffective and un-American. So we make travel faster and we build more cities and we invent electric light and we power appliances. And now we can live connected to this false sense of reality 100% of the time through our phones. But just like people of old and their forced solitude, we live in a forced sense of connection. So yeah. it's hard to actually get the solitude that our bodies and our souls need because connectivity and busyness dominate our lives and we're off balance. So we resent, like I resent my cell phone now. I don't know if you do, Nate, but like when I'm looking yeah. at it and checking things, I like, I'm like, what am I doing? How do I escape? How do I get into the real reality of now and not this fake reality of like global internet connectedness? I was thinking that today I went on a walk this morning after I recorded the intro to this podcast and my two-year-old now does this thing where he slaps my phone out of my hand whenever <laughs> I have it it's and it's He's insane like, look at me he, he did it three times on this walk I was checking my hear my email go ding and I looked at my email and he just looks up at me and he, he comes over to me and he like hits it <laughs> and then if I don't put it in my pocket he won't keep walking that's a new thing. That's what I love about children. And uh, yeah, it's yeah. the saddest thing when I that realization that my kid has been talking to me, but I have not been paying attention at all. I've just yeah. been looking at my phone 
and like Christine will be like, really? Dada? Really? And she'll like look at me and I'll be like, oh crap. I was just ignoring my kid in this moment that I can never recreate. And not that I have to be scarce about the moment, but you know, it goes so fast and what matters is not, you know, my email. What matters is, is them, is being there for them in those moments. Yeah. And I think, I think the rhinoceros, the temptation to be the rhinoceros yeah. versus sitting and dancing in the festival of the rain is really my life story. I was taught that in all areas of my life that that you have that like there's there's this imaginary stage that you're going to get to. Like in this farm, I moved out to this farm that like it's not going to be good and enjoyable until everything is here and working to this like unrealistic fairy tale mm. imagination, like the cows and the goats and the chickens and the fruit trees and all this stuff in the garden. It's like gonna, you know, come out of a storybook and then and I then can say, you will be, yeah, you will be fully sustainable organic farmer and feel the fulfillment that you desire. Yeah. It's like we're all sort of believe there's this fake utopia that is coming around the bend. So we just keep driving around the bend and it's like the world just keeps kind of spinning yeah. just out of view. Yeah, keep um, filling the void. The universe, she's wandered. She's got bruises on her feet. I sat down like I always did. Try to calm her down. But he's sitting there in his cabin going, it's raining and it's a beautiful festival and I'm just going to sit right. and listen well, to I it. Well, I think that the contemplative nature, I mean, obviously Thomas Merton was a monk and, and a mystic and so he's really good at that stuff. <laughs> Most of yeah. us are not. And especially us DIY guys who rely so much on our hustle and like our families rely on our hustle. And we're yeah. rewarded for our hustle. When we make something good, we're rewarded. It's so hard to get out of that endless loop of looking for the reward and hustling and then getting the reward. <laughs> and mm. we're, when mm. do you take a break? When I think about the contemplative moment, I had one the other day. So I just got off of tour. And um, I don't know, we've talked a bit about this on the podcast, but like I'll like smoke cigarettes on tour and I'll come home and I won't smoke cigarettes or whatever. And I, it's just a thing that I do and I never really smoke that much. It's like a, it's like a boundary I have. I don't want to be a smoker. I don't want to, you know, kill myself smoking, but I give myself a little margin. You want to mm-hmm. go like this. Here's the thing that I do. I go, <gasps> I didn't realize for years that's what the, what the appeal of smoking was for me, but it was like literally taking a breath and enjoying this one moment. So the other day I was, I was thinking, yeah. you know, I, I come home from tour, you know, I don't have cigarettes or anything and I, I'm, you know, it's my first day back or whatever and I'm drinking my coffee and I'm at my computer screen and like, there's this just gut longing. The coffee glances over my tongue and there's this gut longing for, oh man, I want to go outside with this coffee and have a cigarette and go, <gasps> and then I just stopped mm. in that moment instead of escaping that longing jam something else in there and as I sat and like focused on it not ran away from it not thought about other things or whatever as I just sat the longing changed it went away that is a total contemplative moment (laughs) where I'm going I "I want this thing so bad and then I go wait why do I want it let me breathe and sit in that for a second that's really probably why a lot of people smoke cigarettes is that it's a 
it's sort of an addictive behavior where the body is kind of craving right. some solitude, some space. It's basically very an undisciplined way to get solitude it's and a, get a moment. Yeah it's, yeah, it's like your subconscious is going, go outside and take a breath. It's a craving for lots of different things right. uh, in those moments because, you know, the social smoker or the... Right. That was yeah. the thing, too, is like everybody's in, in, you know, everybody's inside and it's noisy and whatever, and you go outside and have a one-on-one or a one-on-two or whatever with, with people outside. And there's sort of a more intimate social connection mm. there, too. And what if we replaced that, a contemplative practice of... Going, just walking outside for no reason <laughs> and taking deep breaths of air, you know, like that doesn't yeah. have to be, you don't have to kill yourself to do that. You can do that well, for free. I mean, I think that there has to be an excuse and that is the problem with our society is that there are useful things and there are useless things. And so we've determined doing something like looking at flowers or watching birds as useless. Right. It's a useless thing you're kind of looked at sort of like crazy and weird. And so I think that's what Thomas Merton is trying to say is like, I got to go away and find the contemplative life so I can prove to the rest of the rhinoceroses, this is how you actually live your life. That you're human. And that's the balance. We have all this connectivity in our our world and we have no solitude. Mm -hmm. And it's becoming less and less, it's, it's harder and harder to get solitude. But the balance is that you need both. You need human connection. You need drive, you need goals, you need to achieve. You know, there's something about a hard day's work that is fulfilling in your spirit. When yeah. you till the land and you sit back and you look at it and you go, this is good. There's something godlike in that. But, but those are the moments. Those are the... Yeah. But if you're doing that to get somewhere else, if right. you're working a job just to get the next job, just to get higher up the ladder, well, then you're never going to get up the ladder because yeah, the ladder about. is going to yeah. go on forever. It's what we talk about in the success episode, but it's so true. It's there's a, there's always some the the void will never be filled. So sit in the void, examine it, be aware of it. Embracing the shitty moment is contemplative too. It's not just embracing the good stuff. It's going. Why yeah. do I feel so crappy right now? Because when you don't embrace the bad moments, they can control you. They can manipulate you. They can drive you to escape in ways that are harmful. It's like cognitive behavioral therapy. Being aware of why you feel. Why do I feel the need to do this thing? Or why do I feel the need to knee-jerk, be angry or defensive? This is how we troll ourselves in the sense that we just see life as one big step to the next step to the next step. And we never stop. We never slow down. And then we become, so what Thomas Merton says, is that a country where art is not understood is a country of slaves and robots. That goes along with solitude in this really weird way, that the two are connected, that you can't stand and look at a piece of art and appreciate it if you can't stand and sit still for 25 seconds. Right. There's no Which we can't do. It was just thinking of uh, what Thomas Merton says. All that, we're talking about the rain, all that speech pouring down. Selling nothing, judging nobody. <laughs> right? Like that is art. You're, it's not for sale. It's the moment. It's just appreciating what is, accepting mm. what is, not trying to change or manipulate or use it as a stepping stone for something else. And that's what he's saying. If everything becomes utilitarian as far as what's useful to get somewhere else, then society loses big time. Oh,
But I think as we age, as we get older, as we feel the pressure, as we see life as a series of steps, and then life becomes this thing you just get through. Right. As opposed to someone who's awoken, who's awake, who's truly in the moment, realizing there's somebody here sitting next to me. There's a human being here. There's this person working this kiosk that doesn't want to be here either. Yeah. And I can say hello to that person. Right. And we can have a conversation. In Rain and Rhinoceros, there's some, some really good quotes. I will make you true rich men who have need of nothing. Huh. What do you think that means? Actual richness is, yeah. is when your needs are met. And so many people who have a ton of wealth continue to have the need because they're still filling the void. And so the mm. need is not gone. But when you do away with your needs and you just very minimalistically have basic needs met, that is wealth. Once you can appreciate the moment, then that is true richness, I think is what he's saying. Yeah. So richness is not a quantity or an amount or a place that your life arrives. It's a perspective of your current needs being met and a lack of longing for much beyond that. Mm. I want to read this little line. The love of solitude is sometimes condemned as hatred of our fellow man. But is this true? Um, One of the needs of the collectivity is to reject certain classes or races or groups Mm. in order to strengthen its own self-awareness by hating them instead of absorbing them. We're not realizing we're kind of all in this human race together and it we just view it as a race i don't i don't know i'm right. kind of on a tangent no it's uh, a true. tangent here but solitude helps you realize it helps you understand it as something different than the rat race it helps you separate and get some perspective on what life is and what is i mean even out in nature just listening to the rain and you go this is a hindrance in the city why is it not a, yeah. why is it a gift here and, and yeah. what is rain? And nobody controls this thing. And that's kind of what Thomas Merton is is doing with the act of solitude, just centering himself. So I guess I want to know, Nate, not to get too self-helpy on this podcast, but what are ways that you are injecting solitude into your life? Well, I'm terrible at it. <laughs> um, I really am. I have always been very ADD. And my mind's just going and I'm uh, I can I can be working on ten things at once, and it's it's kind of exhausting. So, I would say I'm in the very beginning stages of understanding. If you don't live a life of disciplines, life will discipline you. <laughs> in the sense, life will sort of put you where it wants you. Yeah. Right. It's a matter of valuing um, the awareness of now, the art of now, the moment the gratitude, valuing those things above task-oriented reality that we are trying to achieve. So it's so like, what do you, Nate, you, you mentioned you were going for a walk. What, what does that look like now on the farm for you? Well, I think that's why we moved out here. That's kind of what I was going to say is like, I felt like I was in the freaking rhino race, dude. <laughs> Especially in and Nashville with a bunch of musicians. Yeah. I felt like I'm in, trapped in the rhino race. I yeah. talked to people about, you know, like, Hey, Here's all these issues in society. Like we're killing the bees. We're polluting the water. And people look at me like, what time's the band play again tonight? (laughs) I'm like, guys, there are big ways that humans have disconnected themselves from the natural world. Well, we have to to to, to survive. We already know all that stuff. But if we actually know it. Some people don't know it. Well, I think it's stuff that we already we already know, but we don't we can't really like know because 
if it becomes something that we can't repress, it uproots our lives and we end up moving to the boonies like you. See, I don't want to move out here to say F you to the man. <laughs> I want to move out here because I want to I want to learn something that Thomas Merton learned. Yeah. That I could be alone in a cabin in the middle of the woods at night listening to the rain and be fully present. I want that. Because right my whole now. life I've been I've been running from the silence. Right. I've been the Forrest Gump of trying to get away from that pain, the pain of my life, the pain of childhood, the pain of everything that's ever gone against me. I've just been running from it. So I would say first and foremost, you have to identify it and then you have to make some tough decisions to force yourself into a contemplative state. I was talking to my wife yesterday, like there was this article I was reading that this guy made his smartphone into a normal phone by deleting every feed app on his phone. Well, you made a choice, and, right? Instead of just throwing his smartphone in the garbage, he he tweaked it. Yeah, he tweaks it. It still has maps. It still has text messages. And it still has a phone. And it still has a camera. And he can use it for its logical use. But it doesn't control him. Right. He controls it. Right. So you have to get to a place in life where you start to control it mm. because you make specific decisions to say, no, Twitter feed is not going to run my life anymore. Right. I'm going to put Twitter only on my laptop. Well, that's that's art too. It's it's standing up and whether you're an artist or not, and I think all of us are to some degree, it's standing up and saying, I'm not going to be like them. I'm not going to do what the collective tells me. Yes, I'm not going to yes. value what the collective tells me to value. I'm an individual and I want to value things that have lasting, lasting results. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, I think I, uh, so recently, (laughs) recently I bought a uh, longboard because I wanted to, um, number one, get exercise and number two, Uh have something fun to do and take breaks from the studio. And so I'll ride it down and and basically do like a three mile loop on my longboard. Um, and I do that sometimes once, sometimes twice a day. I'll just, I'll have to snap out of whatever I'm doing and then just go ride. And mm. it's super helpful to take those breaks, like I said, with the deep breaths. Um, but also I'm doing something that is good physically to get the blood pumping. And then also, yeah, um, you know, it's it's subtracting myself from the monotony of something. I, I'm just ripping myself away. My My senses are all tuned to different things for a moment. And I feel like that really helps creativity. That really helps art. That's kind of what I do, and then, uh, and that mm. it's been it's been helping. But um, often I listen to podcasts while I'm going, so I can't really say that that's solitude. Well, the problem is if you have a busy mind. Some people have busier minds than others. Some people have kind of tortured minds. I remember being the first grader who went home and had long talks with my brother about my first grade girlfriend and what what I was going to do about it. Right. Like I'm in first grade. I'm having you know, these deep talks with my brother, like, so I don't know, maybe I'll propose. Maybe I won't. <laughs> Seriously, I proposed to my first grade girlfriend. <laughs> maybe I'll propose. Maybe and I, I did. I proposed to you her. A cracker at, Jack ring? Uh, I didn't bring a ring. I just, it was at the the pegs where you hang your backpacks up. Yeah, you and, just said, uh, hey, will you marry me? Or Yeah, I did. Yeah. And her and her best friend laughed at me and then went to their seats. And oh. I was like, well, that didn't work out so, so good. That's so sad. But I... I don't know if it's because I had a lot of older siblings and my mind was just somewhere else. I was just way beyond where I was <laughs> age-wise. Yeah. But I've had this brain that's just kind of gone 
crazy. Yeah. And I know a lot of people turn to like weed and drugs to try to calm that part sure. of their brain down. But here's what I think. Thomas Merton is saying, look, you got to stop being a rhino to really let life right. kind of get back into your hand right. as, as opposed to vice versa. Well, he so, uses, yeah, he uses solitude as a way to appreciate the moment more. And it's a tool, but oftentimes, Nate, we cannot be in solitude for long periods of time, especially if we're not monks. We have families, we have kids. So what are ways that we can appreciate the moment more when we're even around people? And, and the moment being right now, what's happening? I think Frank really puts that into terms is that you might have to change your job, make serious decisions to get the true definition of success in your life, which right. is people looking back at you and feeling unconditionally loved. That's what success is. Hmm. So if hmm. you're living a lifestyle where people look at you and go, I don't really feel like you give a shit about me. I don't really <laughs> feel like you love me or care about me. Then you probably are doing something wrong. Especially if it's your family. <laughs> listen, guys, listen to your wives. Wives, listen to your husbands. Husbands, listen, yeah. listen to your husbands. Whatever, what, <laughs> whatever your spouse is mirroring back to you. Uh, it's good to listen because those are the people that know you the best. And um, and if they're saying, I really don't feel like you like me or are connected to me or are appreciating mm. me, then you're probably lacking in the ability to live in the moment. You're probably yeah, living yeah. in the future or in the past or somewhere else. And it's all about zeroing in on right now and taking a deep breath and going, <sighs> I'm here. At the very end of Rain in the Rhinoceros, Thomas Merton says, The rain has stopped. The afternoon sun slants through the pine trees, and how those useless needles smell in the clear air. A dandelion, long out of season, has pushed itself into bloom between the smashed leaves of last summer's day lilies. The valley resounds with the totally uninformative talk of creeks and wild water. Then the quails begin their sweet whistling in the wet bushes. Their noise is absolutely useless, and so is the delight I take in it. There is nothing I would rather hear, not because it is a better noise than other noises, but because it is the voice of the present moment, the present festival. Yet even here the earth shakes. Over at Fort Knox, the rhinoceros is having fun. The universe, she's dancing now. They got her lit up. Lit up on the moon They got stars doing cartwheels All the nebulas on top The universe, she's whispering so softly I can hear all the croaking insects All the taxi cabs, all the bombs spent change All the boys playing ball in the alleyway There's just folds in a dress The universe is wounded But she's still got infinity ahead of her She's still got you and me And everybody says that she's beautiful Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Yeah, she's beautiful, beautiful. Well, that's it for today. I think we've 
we've hammered this one home. Remember, um, you guys can always email us at don't email the trolls at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any comments or questions or you think uh, anything that you can add to what we're talking about, personal stories, we really appreciate. Uh, remember to support yeah. us on Patreon for hours of bonus content and interviews and to feel like you're contributing to the discourse. Special thanks to our new patrons this week, Daryl Ann Lowry and Jason Reinhold. Thank you, guys. Even a dollar a month gets you access to all this junk, uh, <laughs> bonus content, and uh, we help you not feed the trolls. You know, partner with us. Help us get a little solidarity. And honestly, like, I just want to say that this podcast is helping me personally do all this stuff I'm talking about. I feel like I'm going to go out today and find some time to be in solitude because I'm talking about it. So if that's how you feel and you feel good about this stuff and you want to help us kind of keep making this junk and inspiring people, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash don't feed the trolls and help us produce more content quicker and spend more time making this fun stuff. But uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Shoot us some messages and let you know how uh, you're doing some solitude. Actually, that wouldn't make any sense because you'd be on Facebook and Twitter. Right? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see you on social media this week. Thanks, guys. Later. <laughs>